Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Then he says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name hath cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, you that work iniquity. It's very frightening. It's very frightening to read these words. We can't even imagine the fright that's going to be when people hear those words when they come to him saying, Lord, Lord, they call him Lord, And then they go on and talk about their great, wonderful works that they've done in the name of Jesus by preaching and by casting out devils. And then they find themselves cast into hell. All because they never knew him. He never knew them. There was not that close personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Light had risen on them. They saw the light rising on them. They saw the light of people being saved as they preached in Jesus' name. They saw the light as people were delivered from devils that they cast out in Jesus' name, but they never saw the great light. Now, from verse 17, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach. Now, it doesn't say that Jesus began to teach. It says that Jesus began to preach. Now, in your mind, what is the difference between teaching and preaching? What would you say? Okay. That's interesting. Preaching is to the unsaved and teaching is to the saved, okay? Um, so then we should, if everybody's saved here, we shouldn't do any preaching. We shouldn't have a preaching service either because it's all, <laughs> all right, okay, go ahead. What else? Yes, Tom? I think preaching is more emotional, emotional component. Uh-huh. Combination, so okay, so preaching is more meddling. It's getting into your space, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's more. <yeah. laughs> you know, it's more. Teaching is like, okay, uh, you can leave me alone, but preaching is you're not leaving you alone, you know. All right, yes, Tim? Okay, so teaching is not the same as preaching, although preaching can involve teaching, and teaching is really helping a person to understand to understand, it's explanation, it's increasing knowledge, that's teaching. But preaching, and preaching can involve that also, but preaching takes one step further, one step further, it is a declaration, as Tim was saying, it's a proclamation, and the difference between teaching and preaching is that preaching demands a response. Preaching is challenging. 
Preaching increases response to that knowledge. For example, in verse 17, when the Lord Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that's teaching. He's teaching them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But he's preaching when he, he calls for them to respond to that fact, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, by saying, repent. So when he's demanding repentance or, or challenging them to repent, he's calling for a response to the truth that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It goes like this. You teach, and then the person says, so what? Then you preach. The so what is the bringing it to the personal application there, the response to repent. So when the Lord calls for the response to repent, he's preaching. Preaching is not very popular today, no. So the Lord's message is, in verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same thing that John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, 2, in the previous verse, Matthew 3, 2. It's exactly the same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that raises the question, what does he mean? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me ask you this question. What is absolutely needed for there to be a kingdom? Or what makes a kingdom a kingdom? The king. It's a king, right? So if there's no king, there's no kingdom. The king makes the kingdom a kingdom. So when John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they're saying that the king of heaven was at hand. So when he said this, when John the Baptist said this in Matthew 3, 2, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, he was saying the kingdom of heaven is right around the corner. It's right around the corner. And when the Lord Jesus said in this verse here, verse 17, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying that the kingdom of heaven is no longer right around the corner. It's right in front of you. See? So in other words, the kingdom of heaven is as close as the king of heaven is, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So when the Lord Jesus preaches that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's telling them that, look, you've got a chance now, you've got an opportunity now to reach heaven. So he goes to Galilee and he tells them about this opportunity that they have, and they better not miss this opportunity to reach heaven. Now, he goes, as we mentioned here, to the most destitute people with this message of a chance, an opportunity. He went to the people who were the farthest away, so to speak, from the temple. They were the farthest removed from the synagogue, so to speak, with this real opportunity for them. This is the time for Galilee. This is the time of their visitation. You know, it's kind of like, just like, I don't know, you think back on Moses, on his history. You know, there was a time when Moses first went to go visit Israel. You remember that when he first went there to go visit Israel? And this was the first visit that Moses made to the Jewish people. And just think about that time, that time. You remember he was living there in the luxury of the palace in Egypt. He was in essence the son of Pharaoh. And he was slated to become the next Pharaoh in Egypt because tradition has it from the Jews that that Pharaoh had no sons, only had one daughter, and that daughter had no children, had no sons, so Moses, he was adopted. So there he was, slated to become the next Pharaoh in Egypt. So there in the palace there, it comes into the heart of Moses that he's gonna go and visit his people, the Jewish people, who were in the worst state 
unimaginable. And that's just like the Lord Jesus who's in heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father and there in heaven it comes into his heart, the Lord Jesus, I'm gonna go down, I'm gonna rescue man. So Moses turns to his own people, the Jewish people, he turns to them, he wants to save them, he wants to deliver them, and he has this first encounter with them, and the encounter was to break up a fight between two of them. Two Jewish people were fighting. What? Two Jewish people fighting? Unheard of. And so he goes in there, he tries to break up this fight, and they have, or one of them has, which is really a spokesman for really the Jewish people, a response to him. It was really a response of the Jewish people to Moses in general in Exodus 2.14. In Exodus 2.14, when the response was, and he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? In those words, in Exodus 2.14, in Exodus 2.14, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? That was Israel's response to Moses, which was really a response of, we despise you, we reject you. And that response was elaborated on more by Stephen before he was killed. In Acts 7.27, in Acts 7.27, it says, he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? So that's a little more graphic there when you look at those words that Stephen said, he thrust Moses away. You know, and that's Israel's decision about Moses. How Israel thrust Moses away when he first came to the Jewish people is exactly how Israel thrust the Lord Jesus away when he first came to the Jewish people, as Blandly says in John 1.11, John 1.11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Speaking about the Jewish people, the Lord Jesus came unto his own and his own thrust him away. Now, speaking about the Jewish people, that Moses came unto his own and his own thrust him away. And that response when Moses was thrust away was a statement, like I said, of, of how he was, Moses was despised, he was rejected when he first came. And that's just like the Lord Jesus who was despised and rejected when he first came to the Jewish people as is described in Isaiah 53.3. Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. He's despised, so the Lord Jesus is despised, he's rejected, he's not esteemed by his own Jewish people, just as Moses was despised and rejected and not esteemed by his own Jewish people. So that's the whole meaning behind when that person said to Moses in Exodus 2.14, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Now, that was the same response given to Moses, given to the Lord Jesus, that was brought out by the parable that the Lord Jesus told of the response to the Jewish people of him in Luke 19, 12. Luke 19, 12. When he described this situation, he said, he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. He called his 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds, said unto them, occupy till I come. But his servants hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. So that Jewish person who said to Moses, who made thee a prince and a judge, a ruler over us, 
They were saying to Moses, we will not have you to reign over us. That's the response of the Jewish people to the Lord Jesus. In essence said, we will not have you to reign over us. And so he didn't. Just think for a minute of how different it would have been for Israel's history if they had not despised and rejected Moses when he first came to them. If Israel had not despised and rejected Moses when he first came to them, Israel would have been saved. They would have been brought out of Egypt. Israel's history would have been 100% different if Israel had said to Moses, Moses, blessed is Moses that comes in the name of the Lord instead of who made you a prince and a ruler over us. But they didn't say that. They didn't say to Moses when he first came, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. But later, they, they will say, 40 years later, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. But for 40 more long years, they endure, the Jewish people, endure harsh slavery to the point that it becomes unbearable and they cry out to God for relief. Now, and just think how all that suffering during those 40 years was not necessary. They didn't have to go through it. If only the Jewish people would have accepted Moses and received Moses as their prince and their judge to rule over them, their leader, their savior, to bring them out of Egypt. It all could have happened then. If only they didn't despise and reject Moses. And this is what happened with the Jewish people 2,000 years ago, of what we're reading about right now. 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people did not say, to the Lord Jesus, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They didn't say blessed is Jesus that comes in the name of the Lord. And so here we are 2,000 years later and all the reports of the troubles with the Gaza now, they're gonna start the war, all out war with Israel. They're talking about all out war and all the other nations around Israel are all saying, well, if they start a war in Gaza, we'll be there because it's getting more and more unbearable for the, for the Jewish people in Israel. And so we're getting close, we're getting closer to the time when the people are gonna say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, just as the Lord said in Matthew 23, 39, Matthew 23, 39, I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. But the tragedy for Israel when Moses came first is that they would have been saved if they had received Moses. And the tragedy for the Jewish people is that they would have been saved when the Lord Jesus would have received them. For Moses, it was very much a very simple case of I would, but ye would not. And that's the case of the Lord Jesus. I would, but ye would not. When he said in Luke 13, 34, Luke 13, 34, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which kills the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I, that's the I would, gather thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, but ye would not. So Luke 13, 34, that verse there, the Lord is saying, I would, ye would not, and that's just what happened to Moses also. How different Jewish history would have been if Jewish people had received Moses when he first came to them. How different Jewish history would have been if the Jewish people had received the Lord Jesus when he first came to them. No diaspora, no crusaders, no inquisition, no pogroms, no Nazi holocaust, no Palestinian terrorists. All because Israel did not know 
when Moses came the first time, that that was the time of their chance. That was the time of their opportunity. That was the time of their visitation. Just as the Lord Jesus said in Luke 19.44, Luke 19.44, they're gonna lay you even with the dust. Thy children within thee, they shall not leave on thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. It's all because Israel despised Moses. I mean, can't you hear it when they, when they said, you know, who made thee a prince and a ruler over us? Now, imagine talking at their home at night. Look at that Moses. He sits in luxury while we suffer. He's not a Jew. We hate him. We despise him. All because Israel despised and rejected Moses as their deliverer. And so what did God decide to do if that happened? What did God decide to do with the Jewish people when they rejected Moses at the first? God said, fine. You make that decision, I make a decision. I take Moses away from you for a very long time, for 40 years. And all because the Jewish people despised and rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, and what did God decide to do? Fine, I take him away for a very long time, 2,000 years, during which time he's not known to the Jewish people. And it was during this time of separation that a very foreign people, very foreign people, came to know Moses. You know who that was? The Midianites, the Midianites. No, who's ever heard of the Midianites? But during this time of separation, a very foreign people, known as the Gentiles, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that? But it's also at the end of this time that the Jewish people really felt the heat. And it will be coming soon, now, after 2,000 years, that the Jewish people are really gonna feel the heat. So this is the golden opportunity for the people there in Galilee when the Lord Jesus is preaching and telling them that they need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, now, the Lord Jesus has a very simple message. It's the message, repent, just one word. That's his message, repent. What did he preach? Repent. He calls for the people to repent. What's that mean, repent? Well, first of all, he's calling on the people to review your life. Review your life individually. Look back on what you've said, on what you've done, what you've done wrong against God and wrong against others. Especially, he calls on people to look back and review your thoughts. Go back over the script of your thoughts What have you thought wrong against God? What have you thought wrong against others? Which is what the Bible says to do in Deuteronomy 15.9. Moses said this, Deuteronomy 15.9. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart. Deuteronomy 15.9. Proverbs 24.9. Proverbs 24.9. The thought of foolishness is sin. So he calls for people to repent. He's calling for them, the people, to bring out what John talked about in Matthew 3, 5. Matthew 3, 5, John the Baptist. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around about him were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to a baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meet for repentance." So he says this statement, John the Baptist says this, to the Pharisees who are coming to his baptism. And the difference between the people who were lined up from all Judea and the Pharisees was very simple. It was a broken heart. They had a broken heart. The Pharisees didn't have a broken heart. 
So there stands, stands the, the Pharisees. I try to picture this. And they're surrounded, the Pharisees are surrounded with people who are confessing their sins and they're afraid of hell. They're afraid of the wrath of God to come because of their sins. But these Pharisees, they're not confessing their sins. They're not afraid of being cast into hell. And so these Pharisees, they're not determined to stop sinning. And it shows what repentance is. Repentance is uncovering within plain sight the awful history, the personal history of past sins to the point of confessing them. Repentance is a deep sorrow for those personal sins. Repentance is a cry for help to stop those sins. Repentance is a cry to God for forgiveness and cleansing from those sins. And repentance is a fear of being punished for those sins by being cast into hell. This is what the thief on the cross had. He had a knowledge that he deserved the punishment for his sins when his, from his cross, he says to the other the thief there in Luke 23, 41, Luke 23, 41, we receive the due reward of our deeds. Repentance is a fear of being cast into hell. It's a punishment for sins. That's what the Lord Jesus was preaching when he said, repent. When the Lord Jesus says, repent, In essence, he's saying, uncover all your sins of the past. He's saying, be sorry for those sins. He's saying, cry out to God that in mercy he'll forgive and cleanse you from those sins. He's saying, cry out to God for help to stop sinning. And he's saying, be afraid of the punishment for your sins which is being cast into hell. Now, there's a very interesting history about a blind man in Luke 18.35, Luke 18.35, when it says, it came to pass as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging and hearing the multitude pass by. He asked what it meant, and they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passes by. He cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they went before, rebuked him. He should hold his peace. But he cries the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood, commanded him to be brought unto him, and when he was come near, he asked him, saying, what wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Jesus said unto him, receive thy sight. Thy faith hath made thee whole. So here's a blind man. He's crying out to the Lord Jesus to have mercy. The Lord commands him to bring brought forth. And the Lord, the Lord asked him what seemed to be the most ridiculous question when he asked the blind man in Luke 18, 41, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? I mean, can you imagine? Everybody thought when the Lord asked that question. It was so obvious. The blind man was blind. He needed to have sight. That was obvious. If it was so obvious, why did the Lord ask that question? Because the Lord wanted that man to be specific about what he was crying out for mercy for. And that question was all about being specific about specifically wanting sight to be given to him. If that blind man had said, Lord, please bless me, the Lord would have said, how shall I bless you? Just be specific. And when we pray, if we just say, bless me or bless that person, we can hear the Lord saying, well, be specific. What specifically are you asking for yourself and for another person? It's important to be specific in prayer, which is why the hymn is so great that says, Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. It doesn't mean a suit like, you know, a jacket and pants. The, the hymn says, 
Come suit, like in law, like a lawyer. Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. It's such a great hymn. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 